This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon. I'm Roshan Kennison and welcome to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Today, we're venturing into the world of tokenization and token crowdfunding. As the digital landscape evolves, so does the way businesses can raise capital and investors can diversify their portfolios. But what exactly is tokenization and token crowdfunding? And how does it differ from equity crowdfunding or the initial coin offerings that we were hearing about a few years back. To break down these concepts and explore the value proposition that this holds for the business community, we're joined in the studio by Nicholas Chong. He's the head of token crowdfunding with Malaysian crowdfunding platform Pitch In, among other things. We'll break down the essence of tokenization, understand the intricacies of the token crowdfunding uh, process, and get a little bit of a distinction between tokenization, ICOs, IEOs, and all the mix of alphabet soup that we uh, usually submerged in, in when it comes to this space. We'll also delve into the process of token crowdfunding and asset tokenization as well as how this could potentially change the game for how businesses can raise funds. Uh, Nicholas, welcome to the show. All right, thank you for having me, Roshan. So this is obviously going to be a technical, in-depth interview uh, conversation. So um, yeah, so help us break this down for us, right? So let's start with the basics. Um, break down the concept of tokenization for us, please. Sure. So um, tokenization in a nutshell is basically how uh, how you actually represent an asset or value on the blockchain. Right. And, and I'll, I'll deep, uh, dive deep a bit more into blockchain. Uh, but I think before before we have blockchain, um, when we typically represent assets, um, it, it's with a central entity. Right. You have a, a depository. Um, or for example, you know, your, a bank tell you how much you have in your bank balance. Right. Um, and, and that's like pre-blockchain all the data are stored with one central entity. So with the advent of blockchain, it, um, that's a new way for you to actually record all this information. So instead of, say, you know, um, touch and go, uh, storing your touch and go balance, um, what blockchain does is that you, um, it actually allows you to store, you know, how much assets you have um, instead of with one entity, but it's at, like, with multiple computers around the world. Mm. Right? So all of them have like, you know, a record of how much you actually own. Um, and that's that's essentially a blockchain, right? Instead of recording something uh, in, in a central ledger, it's with a distributed ledger. So it's essentially decentralized record keeping. Yes, decentralized record keeping. Um, and tokenization is, is really a, a consequence of that, right? Instead of one entity telling you what assets you own, how much you own it, um, it's just a way of recording what assets you own, how much you own it in a decentralized way uh, amongst all these computers. So that's, in a nutshell, what uh, tokenization is. So... Where there's, I guess, so that kind of also explains where uh, tokenization sits in the larger digital asset space as yeah. well, right? It's you're taking an asset in the real world and uh, tokenizing in a way that is then distributed over the blockchain ledger, essentially. Yeah. So how do you tokenize an asset then? Like, what does that process entail? Um so I, I think tokenization, I, I, I think there are, there are also different ways people view tokenization. For me, I think I view it a bit differently. Um, it's a bit more than just taking a real asset. Um, I think that's one form of tokenization. I think okay. it's asset tokenization, for example. But you can also create a token to capture a value. It doesn't have to be tied to a tangible uh, asset. Right? But so, so for me, the way I, I like to put it is basically a way for you to um, record the value of uh, um, in a blockchain and who, who owns that specific value. It could be an asset, it could be um, just uh, um, a more, more intangible form of, of, uh, of uh, item. Uh, in terms of how it works, um, 
So uh, I, I think that we have probably have to look at it both ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, first is uh, there's one type of tokens. Uh, if it's backed by asset, it's sort of a security token, right? Backed by um, uh, typical you know, securities like shares, uh, debt. Um, or even asset uh, instrument, um, and you know the other the other one is utility token where the value is more intangible. So both uh, are quite different in terms of how it works. Um, I will start with the first one, asset back token, because it's uh, easier to explain as well. So um, largely speaking, it's not too dissimilar from your traditional counterparts like your share tokens, for example. Um, it's not too dissimilar from your share. Uh, functionally speaking, I think the so you know the process to actually issue a share is the same, right? You have to you have to um, um, have a prospectus and have to you know uh, go through the SSM processes and everything, right? So what's additional is how you actually represent that that one share in the mm. form of token, right? And and there are a few parts to it. There's a technical aspect to it, um, which is basically you you uh, need to be able to create tokens, um, and that goes into con- uh, the uh, area of smart contract, which I won't go into uh, <laughs> right now. Um, but there's also the legal aspect, right? How do you enforce the rights of um, the share um, and, and have it represented in the form of a token? And the same can be said for you know other instruments, DAP and, and other forms of uh, of uh, securities. For utility token, um, it, it's a bit different. Like, uh, utility token that's less regulatory aspects per se, uh, because what you're tr- actually doing is you're trying to capture the value of uh, of uh, an ecosystem or project itself. Um, so inherently, any product or any platform, it creates value for users. Take, say, uh, Touch and Go, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe not Touch and Go, WhatsApp, for, WhatsApp, for example. Right? Uh, people do use WhatsApp because they see an utility um, uh, by, with using WhatsApp. Um, and some people even don't, wouldn't mind paying a bit of premium to get extra utility, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, um, and so th- th- those are inherent form of utility in the project itself. Um, and there's also, uh, for example, loyalty points in retail businesses. Um, the points itself give uh, utility because you can actually use it to uh, exchange for certain things. So, so when you are trying to issue utility token, um, it's a matter of finding a way to capture those uh, utilities I mentioned, whether is it the loyalty points, for example, it could be represented in the form of a token, or for WhatsApp, certain features could require tokens to access. And that's how you solve, well, in, in a way, tokenize the utility in the project and represent it in the form of a token. So in a way, in that sense, it's like when you go to an arcade and you buy tokens in order yeah. to use the machines, that yeah. is a, a, so in this situation, you you get WhatsApp tokens in order to use particular premium yeah. Uh, yeah. services, for example. Yeah. And and I think another way, arcade token is a very good example, like you buy tickets and, and go yeah. in. I think two more two more examples just to help uh, people get more grounded is it could be it could be like a subscription service mm. and also a membership uh, sort of package, uh, but with the addition uh, no features that those can be traded, right? Whereas if your subscription and your membership is just you know fixed be- between you and uh, the entity offering it. So with the security token uh, we were talking about earlier, yeah. you're you're backing it against something like shares, for example. Correct. So it's a parallel to shares issued by a company, yep. and then it's, instead it's uh, it's uh, represented on the blockchain. Yep. And with the utility token, there is a function or something you can, well, something you can use it for basically. Yes. Uh, so the utility uh, aspect of it. Um, am I correct in understanding that NFTs were utility tokens, or am I mistaken? 
So, um, I, I think NFTs and, and it's, um, well, the opposite of it is fungible tokens. Mm-hmm. I think it's it doesn't really encapsulate whether it's utility or security because okay. it's just a technology, right? It's just fungible tokens means token A um, and token B is, is the same. It's fungible. Mm-hmm. Non-fungible means token A and token B, although it's issued together, it's not the same. Right. So, you can actually use it to represent either a real-world asset um, for example, I think uh, recently MDAC uh, did uh, a campaign uh, where um, you know they, they, they have certain IPs, um, artworks represented using NFT, right? So it's unique in that sense. Um, and you can also use it to, uh, uh, besides artwork, you can also use it to re- represent things like real estate or, or um, you know, certain assets, and that would give it security characteristics. Right, so so I, I think just to just to sum things up, right? Um, I think doesn't regardless of whether it's NFT or, or fungible token, um, it, it really depends on what asset is being represented, like mm. what rights is being being actually put into those tokens itself. Right, so NFT is a form of tech. It's a different yeah. way of maybe yeah. going uh, of applying it. Yes. Where else? What we're talking about here between security and utility tokens is uh, what's essentially the function of it and what it's being backed by. Correct, correct. Um, because we've got more to get into, including uh, what is token crowdfunding and what is its value proposition, which we will get into in a few minutes. Folks, you're listening to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. And today, we're exploring the world of tokenization and token crowdfunding, an alternative way for businesses to raise money and the value it brings to their businesses. With Nicholas Chong, Head of Token Crowdfunding with Malaysian Crowdfunding Platform, Pitch In. I'm Roshan Kunison. We'll be back in just a bit, so keep it here to BFM. 89.9 The Business Station Best for Money BFM 89.9 BFM 89.9, welcome back to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Today, we're exploring the world of tokenization and token crowdfunding, an alternative way for businesses to raise money and exploring the value it brings to these businesses with Nicholas Chong, head of token crowdfunding with Malaysian crowdfunding platform Pitchin. Uh, Nicholas, earlier we are talking a little bit about the basics, right? And we focused primarily on what tokenization is and the main differences between what a security token is and utility token. Now, you are head of token crowdfunding. So let's talk about token crowdfunding. What is it and how do we utilize either security tokens or utility tokens in this? Yeah, sure. So token crowdfunding, um, I think it's really a term that Pitchin recently sort of used to mm. describe what's happening in Malaysia. Um, it's not commonly used in in uh, in um, you know globally. I think typically they prefer t- uh, all the alphabet soups that you you, you mentioned. So in things like ICOs, ICOs, IEOs, and, and things like that. Um, and I think uh, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about the rationale why we why we actually using this term. Um, so for us, token crowdfunding is really a catch-all term um, for all this alphabet soups that, that we talk about, ICOs, <laughs> IEOs, STOs, um, we've added label that um, is in a regulated way, right? And um, the reason why we, we actually use this term is because Malaysia is actually in quite a very unique position. Um, we are, I believe, the only country, if not one of the only countries, uh, that regulates fundraising using different types of tokens. I think in most countries, uh, they do regulate security token offerings because it's unlike your traditional shares. But utility token fundraising or crowdfunding is relatively new uh, new in the market. I think most countries, they, they are a bit silent on that. But I think Malaysia, uh, we've started to, to regulate it in, in 2020, which is why, you know, Using any one of, of the, the ICOs or STOs doesn't really encapsulate what we have in Malaysia, which is, and uh, we decided to use token crowdfunding to uh, encapsulate all of it. 
Um, and, and maybe I'll also talk a little bit about the different types of token crowdfunding, mm. right? Um, so like I said earlier, when you do uh, fundraising, token crowdfunding, um, essentially what you're doing is you're trying to raise funds from the public um, uh, by issuing tokens. And the tokens can represent a lot of different things. Um, and, and the easiest way to put it uh, uh, is really splitting into utility token crowdfunding and security token crowdfunding. Um, and um, for utility token crowdfunding, um, um, this will be equivalent to what you be, what people may have heard of, uh, like ICOs, IEOs. Um, essentially, it's based, um, to put it simply, it's basically issuing utility token that gives the investors access to the particular project's uh, value um, and, and selling it to investors uh, in exchange for uh, funds that you use to build the project. Right, and the difference between ICO and IEO is is actually like the the initial part is still the same. Like you still issue a token and um, sell it to investors. The difference is IEO it comes with immediate listing after you issue the token, so investors can immediately um, uh, trade it on a specific exchange. Whereas ICO is more of a separate process, right? Uh, and and that's basically ICO and IEO um, for. Security tokens, um, essentially equivalent to STO, security token offerings. Um, and it's, it's not too dissimilar from the process-wise, it's not too dissimilar from your traditional uh, ECFs or P2P, for example. Um, the difference is that at the very end, after uh, shares and debt has been, has been uh, designed, has been structured, has been issued, um, there's an additional step to actually represent them on the blockchain. So, so that's that's uh, just a quick rundown of the different types of um, of token crowdfunding and you know broadly how how it looks like and, and if, if you were to do it. So, security uh, STO or security token offering uh, or security token crowdfunding in your situation, uh, I've got shares in my company. I want to raise money on yep. the back of those shares. I tokenize them on the blockchain, and then uh, investors buy those tokens, yep. correct? All right. And then with utility token crowdfunding, this can be done through an ICO and IEO. Did I, did I have that understanding correctly? Yes. Um, so it's just a matter of whether you get listed immediately. All right. So ICO is basically between uh, the company and the investor, yep. whereas an IEO has an exchange in the mix? Um, so so I, I think that's also where uh, the definition differs a bit in ah, Malaysia okay. and the rest of the world. I, I think also to be fair, the definition is not set in stone. Okay. But I, I think... If, if it's a regulated um, ICO or IEO, you have to have a centralized entity to do it. Mm. It doesn't need to be an exchange. Mm. Like Pichin, we are not an exchange. Um, we are a platform operator. We're under the RMO, Recognized Market Operator. Um, and we are regulated to basically do due diligence, to curate the deals for investors. Um, so I, I, think, I think the commonality, um, um, whether it's ICO or, or IEO in Malaysia, uh, is that it has to go through a centralized entity. Mm-hmm. And then after it has been it has been um, curated, it has been uh, offered, has been located. Uh, if it's an IEO, then there will be a partner exchange to list the token immediately. Whereas ICO, um, the listing may come a few months later. Okay, and so we've we've kind of broken down the three main, uh, or at least the primary two yeah. ones, right? Security and utility tokens it's there, and what is I guess in, what entails them in a token crowdfunding situation. Um, why would someone use, or why would a business use a security token uh, versus a utility token? Could you ex- break down, elaborate and break down the value proposition for businesses looking to raise capital? Sure. Um, so, so I'll start with why businesses may consider security token mm. versus your traditional securities, sure. right? And then I'll compare that with uh, security tokens and utility tokens. So, so I think comparing security tokens with your traditional securities, functionally speaking, it's not too different. Um, if it's equity, 
in its uh, digital form, you still get the same similar benefits, uh, profit sharing, uh, to some, some sort of governance and, and things like that. That same thing, you get repayment. I think for comparing between security tokens and traditional securities, uh, it's really what happens after it's been issued, right? And, um, and there are a few points on, on why uh, it will be beneficial. I think first of all is that security token, it is much um, easily transferable um, because the assets are recorded on the blockchain, mm. not a central entity. Um, so when you transfer an asset from, say, I want to transfer to you, Roshan, um, in, in the traditional world, I have to go to whoever is keeping my records um, I, and have to get my bank to communicate with them. They have to check to make sure payments are made and then they affect the transfer. Whereas uh, in, in the security token world, because it's recorded on the blockchain, um, the you can just send a transaction to this network of computers and they will verify um, uh, as, a, as one single process whether or not you have the funds to make the transfer and they will just settle it immediately. So that, that's one thing, right? It's much easily transferable. Um, and I think a uh, second point is that um, it also allows for fractionalization much easier, easier because by nature, um, the, the infrastructure is, is designed to allow it to be, uh, to be fractionalized. Uh, so you, you can have um, a token representing one real estate, for example, and fractionalize it um, so that each token holder gets specific benefits um, um, uh, tied to the asset itself. Um, and I think uh, i just touch on quickly two more points and I'll move on to the next comparison. Um, I think um, third one is that it also makes it a more global uh, asset, more, more global. Um, and, and reason being is that, um, you know, the tokens, because it, like who, who stores the record is not confined to just Malaysia, one Malaysia entity, right? You could um, quite easily, of course, you know, um, there are some uh, uh, conditions, right? You know, whether they can do it and things like that. Uh, but you could quite easily actually list the token on a separate exchange in, in another country. Um, and um, it works because that exchange that lists your token, they don't need to be talking to um, the Malaysian, you know, uh, depository uh, like the traditional shares, right? They could actually just find a way to connect to the blockchain and get right. information on that. So, so it opens up a whole new, whole new, whole new world um, for you to be able to, you know, take in global investors and actually offer it in other countries as well. Um, and I think a fi final point, which I think it's it's um, quite interesting. Um, I, I feel this is, um, you know, a, a lot of things to get to be explored, but it also allows for programmable assets, right? Okay. Um, so what I mean by that is that because it, exists, the representation exists in the blockchain, which essentially it's, um, you know, digital um, and it's connected to different lines of codes and things like that. You can actually program that specific token, uh, that, that shares, for example, um, to do different things. Um, and one example is that you could actually have the shares run through codes, whereas your tra uh, traditional shares, you can't you have a human to enter inputs um, to a software. But if it's natively on the, on the blockchain, it's recorded there, you could actually have it interact with codes. And that allows for instant settlement, right? Um, you could just say that I want to make this transaction. The code checks to make sure that you have enough balance and uh, certain conditions and just execute the transaction uh, uh, immediately. Um, you could also even hard code compliances into the asset itself. Interesting. I think in, in a lot of countries, um, I think um, if you want to buy your private shares, there, there are restrictions. Only certain type of investors can buy the shares. Um, in, in, the, in the traditional world, you, you can only do it um, by having someone actually gatekeep, right? And then every time a transfer is made, you, you gatekeep again. But, it, it, but because uh, the assets uh, in the security uh, token, they are programmable, you can actually hard code who can actually buy the tokens, right? So uh, this is- Baking terms and conditions, basically. Yes, it's baking uh, terms and conditions. So 
um, just to give you an example. Say um, you, you only need only sophisticated investors can buy your share, mm. right? You could do a, a KYC process uh, for investors coming in, and after they've passed the KYC process, proven that they are sophisticated investors, you could actually whitelist them uh, and. Only they can actually hold the assets. So mm-hmm. if they want to transfer it to someone that hasn't been KYC yet, it's just uh, physically impossible, right? And and a couple more uh, reasons which I won't go go into uh, more detail. But but I think a programmable asset is actually one of the more interesting things. Uh, a lot of a lot of concepts still not being explored yet. And I'll just uh, maybe quickly compare between security tokens and utility tokens. Sure. Um, so when it comes to utility tokens, uh, fundamentally is very different from the ones we talk about. Um, I think uh, just very simply, it doesn't represent any form of equity or debt in a company itself. Um, uh, uh, well, uh, most in most cases, at least. Um, and why people may want to use utility token, it, it, there's a few reasons. Uh, first of all is that um, it, it like I said, because it doesn't represent the shares or debt of a company, it's really about um, uh, capturing the value of a specific project or product you want to launch, right? And so I think some companies may find it attractive, especially if the company um, already has a very a very uh, maxed up cap table, right? Uh, but they still want to launch a new project and want to get funding for it. They could actually confine the fundraising to that specific project itself. Um, so that, that's one, right? You know, it's it's really looking at the different type of fundraising. Um, I think number two, I also mentioned that uh, you know it's also more international assets, and that opens up uh, new capital coming in, whether it's from Malaysia or, or the rest of the world. Um, I think, um, I think uh, Malaysia. Um, even if you look at just Malaysia alone, if you talk about investors, right? In our digital asset uh, exchanges, um, I think the edge published an article uh, this year, earlier this year. Um, I think if I don't, if I remember correctly, um, saying that our largest exchange in Malaysia, the regulated one, uh, Luno, have about 840K investors. We don't have their holdings, but just just imagine like each of them hold 1,000, right? It's already easily 900 million um, assets that is um, ready to deploy to uh, to uh, token assets, um, and not to mention other exchanges and you know the rest of the world. So so it opens up a whole new um, space of investors as well. Um, and I think just one final point I want to talk about uh, on utility token, why someone might think about it is also it, it's a new way for you to sort of engage your communities, even in other countries, um, especially if if you if a company has plans to go um, beyond Malaysia uh, to other regions or it, they are currently there. Um, Basically, expanding to a country and giving access uh, to users in the country itself is just as simple as listing your token to ex- an exchange in the country itself. And um, say, you know, I, I listed in Indonesia, uh, folks from Indonesia could go to the exchange, buy the token, and actually uh, use it to consume your goods and services. Right. And, and I think that's the that last sentence you said that is really important, right? It's the consumption of that product or yep. service that you are raising funds for. Yep. You, you're a company, you have a new project, a new product that you want to get funds for, uh, and you're basically selling people the ability to use that or some kind of exclusivity or some kind of bonus on top of that product or yep. some kind of... There's something that's being tied to that particular aspect of the business as opposed to with the security tokens where it's tied to the shares, the debt in a company. Um, How does this all differ from equity crowdfunding, which Pitching is quite known for at this point? Um, So... I think I think secret tokens. There are different types of secret tokens. I think if if you compare with equity crowdfunding, we're talking about tokenized share, um, and of course, if you talk about that, there's P two P as a comparison. I think I think in in general, um, like I said, the the instrument itself is not too dissimilar uh, functionality wise. Um, I think the difference is really that there is a bit of a learning curve when it comes to uh, um, doing a 
token crowdfunding using security tokens, uh, whether it's shares or debt. Um, and and, and that co- it comes with pros and cons as well. I think um, the good thing is that if, if a company were to do this, likely you'll be first among equals in, in, uh, in, in Malaysia or even in, in the region. Um, but of course, the downside is that the learning curve is quite high. So you do, you do need to have certain level of understanding of, uh, and also technology uh, readiness for your company to be able to embark into this. Um, process-wise, it's the same. You still look at, uh, if it's equity, you still look at um, the uh, valuation of the company, you know, their business plans, what they're trying to do, what they can achieve, the founders. You still look at the same thing when it comes to valuation. Um, but I think, I think one key difference maybe I'll just highlight is that for uh, equity crowdfunding, um, regulations, uh, um, I think, it's the max fundraising amount, if I believe, is 20 million Malaysian ringgit. Whereas for, uh, well, token crowdfunding using security tokens, it can go up to 100 million, of course, with certain terms and conditions. Uh, but if you're comparing um, basically crowdfunding using security tokens and their counterpart ECFP2P, functionally, it's, it's quite uh, the same. Uh, Process-wise, it's similar as well. It's just an additional tech component um, and also allows you to do a bit more because you can fundraise uh, more than the 20 million that, uh, f- for equity. That's the limit. So so far, Nicholas, we've kind mm-hmm. of talked about the basics here. Uh, what is a security token? What's a utility token? How does it differ from equity crowdfunding? And why someone would tokenize through either security or utility uh, tokens, as we mentioned earlier. We're going into a few messages right now. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the process of tokenization and some of the challenges that businesses might face when opting for token yeah. crowdfunding. Folks, you're listening to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Today, we're exploring the world of tokenization and token crowdfunding and the value proposition it brings to businesses when it comes to fundraising. And helping me with this conversation has been Nicholas Chong. He's the head of token crowdfunding with Malaysian crowdfunding platform PitchIn. I'm Roshan Gunnison. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Burning for more. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. And today we've been exploring tokenization and token crowdfunding, an alternative way for businesses to raise money, whether for your company backed by shares or whether through for a product or project through the utility of that particular product or project. And helping me with this conversation has been Nicholas Chong, head of token crowdfunding with Malaysian crowdfunding platform Pitch In. Uh, we've, we've really touched on quite a lot of the basics and what tokenization is and what token crowdfunding is. So if you miss that conversation, the podcast will be up later today. Just go up to the BFM app or wherever you get your podcasts and look for Enterprise Explores. Uh, Nicholas, let's talk a little bit about the process itself. We've broken down uh, the functions, why you would use it, um, and the concepts behind it. Um, but we don't really have a sense for the process okay. of it. So talk to us about the process of tokenizing an asset. If you were going to do token crowdfunding here in Malaysia, what would that process look okay. like? Um, so I think Malaysia, we have two uh, two players regulated to do this activity. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure there are some differences and, and commonalities between the process uh, that both of us use. But I'll speak more, more from Pichin's uh, perspective. Um, so... 
if you want to issue a token, whether is it a security or utility token, I think um, first step is uh, for us, we, we do a preliminary assessment on whether um, what you're trying to do is is uh, viable or sustainable. If it's company, if it's you're doing a security token, we will look at um, the underlying asset itself, whether it's something that uh, is investable, right? whether the company is, is um, you know has has uh, you know good plan and things like that. Um, if it's for example uh, something with a cash flow uh, tied to it, a constant cash flow, we look at the cash flow projections and things like that, right? Um, and if it's a UT token, we look at um, basically the idea itself. Is it is it uh, feasible? Uh, uh, is it something that people would want to use and, and things like that? So that's step one, right? We do a very preliminary um, assessment on whether the, the uh, whole concept is viable or not. So after after that's done, then we will work with the company to actually onboard them. And that's where we do sort of um, our due diligence. Um, and uh, I think for us, we look at three parts um, in general. Uh, we look at the financial or business part, uh, financial business due diligence. We look at the legal due diligence. And in addition to that, um, which is this is the one that's different from ECF and P2P and, and the other players, is we also look at digital token due diligence. Um, so I think financial and uh, legal, I think is quite straightforward. In terms of digital token due diligence, it's really um, to, to look at whether or not uh, the company's proposal, they know what they're doing and, and they know how to actually um, capture the rights of what they are trying to promise uh, into a token itself. Um, it goes into intricacies like you know what type of blockchain they are issuing on, um, and how how can users actually you know redeem the rights and and, and things like that, right? Uh, but essentially, that, that's an additional part that we look at as compared to uh, ECF or P two P. So after that's done, then we will basically uh, prepare our assessment, uh, and uh, we will actually recommend. So another difference compared to ECF P two P is that um, because this is a new space, um, all the token crowdfunding uh, application that comes to us after we've done our assessment, um, we actually give it to the SE to actually, well, with lack of a better word, to check our assessment, mm. right? Um, and that's a temporary measure because it's a new space and the SE also wants to have a close eye uh, to it. Um, and, and which is why after we've done our assessment, uh, we'll pass it to the SE and SE will review it. And after it's done, then uh, it'll be hosted on our, on our platform. Investors can go in and invest. Um, and after the campaign is, has concluded, um, I think in Malaysia, uh, similar to the traditional counterparts, it's an all or nothing, nothing um, uh, method, meaning you have to meet your minimum target, otherwise you don't get the funds. Um, and after, if it's successful, I think another difference that um, uh, is very important to highlight is that because we're also dealing at, with larger quantums, uh, up to 100 million, um, the money is not immediately dispersed to the issuers, right? Uh, like ECF, P2P, after um, the fundraising, the issuers can get the whole uh, chunk of uh, funds and they can manage themselves. For token crowdfunding, it is dispersed by milestones. So um, they will have issuers as part of their offering documents, they would tell us a plan, what they want to use the money for, and we will disperse uh, to issuers um, as and when they hit uh, specific milestones. Right, you can think of it like a grant. Right, we will check whether or not certain uh, criteria have to be met, and then we will we'll disperse it. So that's that's in a nutshell the, the whole process. Um, I think it's it's not too dissimilar from equity crowdfunding or token crowdfunding, just with additional intricacies um, and like two or three intricacies that I think I mentioned earlier. Um, it sounds that like there are going to be compliance mm. uh, needs, uh, regulatory needs. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about some of the, I guess. Uh, what should businesses be prepared in terms of compliance and legal considerations when they are going through this process? What, okay. what do they need on their end? Yeah. Um, I, I just thought there's a, there's a, there's a few, uh, few points to it. I think I'll start with the like, uh, fundamentals. Uh, I think 
not all issuers can do token crowdfunding. Mm. Um, and that's the reason why uh, there's also a higher fundraising limit because there, there is a, a higher threshold for uh, eligibility. Um, uh, I think there are basic ones like uh, Malaysia Incorporated and you know, having directors in Malaysia. But I think there's one in, in particular is that um, uh, companies that are doing token crowdfunding have to offer some sort of digital value proposition. Right, um, and and uh, it could be in the form of solving a, a real real industry problem. It could be in the form of just using very innovative technology. Uh, so that's that's one of the key things uh, to to uh, companies to think about whether they are actually uh, meeting that requirement, digital value proposition. And there's also a couple of financial uh, requirements, which is I I, I don't think it's uh, in ECF um, uh, that you have to meet a company have to meet before they can actually do token crowdfunding. So that, that's I think the fundamental. Um, you need to see whether or not you meet those requirements. Um, and then after that, number two, um, I'll, I'll break it down to also maybe one, one thing to think about for security token and one for um, utility token. I think for security token, the most important thing is um, the legal uh, structuring of the token itself because we're talking about rights that are enshrined in, in the law itself. And you need to find a legal structure that um, is able to transfer the rights into a token form. Um, and that sometimes uh, there are intricacies involved because things like, um, you know, for example, uh, ownership or even uh, uh, voting rights, for example, mm. you need to figure out what can be transferred, what cannot be transferred, how do you transfer it, can it be fractionalized? So, so I think there are some intricacies involved when it comes to structuring it. Right. So, so I think that, that's, um, just to keep it short, uh, that's one of the more uh, most important things to think about when it comes to security tokens. How do you transfer those rights to the token holders itself? Uh, and and um, it's a matter of finding the right legal arrangement, putting in place the right contracts uh, to make it work. Um, for utility token, I think um, uh, because in most, well, not in most, but actually the whole wide world, except maybe a few countries, um, it's not regulated if you use it for token crowdfunding. So I think that, that's probably one thing that uh, companies have to have to be careful about. Um, so because if, if you if you because it's largely unregulated, if you go uh, do it in, in other places, for example, um, uh, they are, that's why you hear a lot of rug pulls, a lot of uh. scams happening, right? Because it's unregulated. There are good projects out there um, that actually get a lot of attention, but sadly speaking, it's, it's really those bad actors that are speaking about this, right? So um, I think. One, one important thing is to look at whether or not uh, you want to do it in a regulated way, right? Uh, companies can always opt to go elsewhere to do it in an unregulated way, but ca- that comes with risk. Um, and so the good thing about a Malaysian companies is that uh, in Malaysia, there is a regulated framework for them to actually um, do their token crowdfunding. And, and it, it, it helps to mitigate uh, certain risk for them and also for investors uh, to a large extent. I think in terms of the intricacies of uh, of token crowdfunding, um, I think that there are a lot more. Uh, I think the good thing is that in Malaysia we have two players that is regulated to do it: uh, um, uh, Capital DX and uh, Pitchin. Um, and, and both of us, if, if companies are interested, can reach out, and uh, we, we are more than happy to help them navigate through the intricacies. Yeah, in fact, I had a conversation with uh, Rani from KLDX as well as Cash mm. uh, from Pitchin. I think it was mid last year when IEOS was first uh, announced. Um, I think the f- framework was announced and we had a little bit of a conversation around what IEOs were. Yep. Uh, you can find that, of course, on the BFM app or wherever you find a podcast. should be under X- Enterprise Explores, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we've talked about some key challenges that businesses might face there, right, with the compliance, with regulatory. Are there any other challenges that business, businesses might face when opting for token crowdfunding that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, um, I, I think especially for utility token, um, because if, if you really think about it, it's it's really a new way of uh, new way of uh, um, doing crowdfunding, right? It's it's trying to think about value in a different way, 
right? Uh, and and I think first of all, is there is definitely going to be a learning curve. You have mm. to rethink about how you capture value from your project or from a business, from an ecosystem, and translate to investors. So I think that that's definitely um, one of the key things to to to, uh, to take note of. Uh, there will be a much higher learning curve, um, and that also translates to potentially a longer time to market because you have to learn as you as you develop uh, structure your uh, uh, project. Um, besides that, um, I think others would be more business and operational consideration for um, utility token. Um, I think, frankly speaking, not all companies uh, should go for a utility token crowdfunding. So the first question that the company should ask is, is this really the right uh, uh, right way for a company to, to do crowdfunding? Right? And, and I think um, typically it's more suited for companies that are a bit more uh, tech savvy, uh, they have a high tech readiness uh, and potentially a lot of retail followings, right? That's what uh, what um, token crowdfunding, or especially using utility, uh, is for. So I think the first thing to think about is whether it's it's uh, suitable for a company. Um, and I think once you, you you feel that it's suitable, then second thing to think about is how do you capture specific values uh, within the ecosystem and tie it to the token itself. Um, and it's not it's not a simple process because there's so many ways to skin the cat, right? You can like you know using uh, WhatsApp as an example, you could structure it like a like a subscription service, right? But you know there are also different type of features that can tie with it, and, and there's also few ways that you can actually use the the, the WhatsApp token as as an example that we talk about um, uh, for people to access WhatsApp. Um, so so there are a lot of ways to to skin the cat and. Companies to think about what's the best way to do it. Um, I think one last thing uh, for utility token is uh, regarding whether the company has the resources to execute the whole mm. project, um, including from at the fundraising stage, uh, um, and even after that, right, being able to um, maintain uh, the the token uh, infrastructure that that's required. It's not a lot, but it's, there's still some sort of uh, work required, um, and and uh, whatever comes after it, right. So so utility token, I think a lot of it is really from an operational perspective. Um, and security token, like I said, I think that the most important thing is, is really how you structure. It's really about the rights, right? How do you structure and transfer the rights to token holders? Uh, Nicholas, I think just based on that last point there, it's really important for everyone to know that this may, it's, a, it's just an introduction <laughs> to tokenization and token crowdfunding. By all means, uh, please go and read up more if this sounds like something up your alley, something that you want to explore or something that you want to learn more about. There's only so much that we can cover here. On that note, Nicholas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Folks, I've been speaking with Nicholas Chong. He is the head of token crowdfunding with Malaysian crowdfunding platform PitchIn. And you've been listening to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Uh, if you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on the BFM app, available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just look up for Enterprise Explores. I'm Roshan Kanesan. This is Enterprise Explores. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.